Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. You know, however I come across, I can honestly say that I'm not big-headed or arrogant. But I do think that one of the plinths of my career, one of the central issues that have allowed me to progress is that when I see things, <laughs> I tend to say them in capital letters. Write them, that's easy. But I say them in capital letters, not to provoke, um, Certainly not to garner attention for myself. But somehow or other I was born with a kind of molten lava inside. And I dread to think what would have happened if it wasn't matched with an ability that I'm convinced I have, which is to see football quite well. And I'm lucky with words. I was gifted with um, some sort of lexicon inbuilt, which I have to thank my grandparents and parents and to a lesser degree my teachers for. Teachers at Cults Primary and Cults Academy, and I'm going to come back to them later because one of the main uh, protagonists tonight at La Cartuja shared that school and those teachers. Anyway, if you have the courage of convictions like I do, and, and you state things with noise, a good friend of mine, Steve Condy, who, who worked at high level in the BBC, and um, who fell out of a helicopter when it landed in an emergency and bounced in the ground and he wasn't ready, and out he went. Good footballer, sadly devoted to Hibbs and Alex Cropley. But many, many years ago, when Steve was still at BBC and I was regularly on Sky, he said, you know what, you're considered, and this is in inverted commas, good TV. And what he meant by that was that I stated things hard. If I believed them, I went for them. And frankly, <laughs> if people don't agree with my opinions or don't like them, then it does make me question them. I go back, I look, I think again, often I stay the same. Not always. But when you live like that, you learn to take it when football or people or life swings back at you and catches you on the jaw. By now you'll have gathered that that happened tonight. You, you'll know that with each of the three main coaching staff in charge of Belgium, I've got a good relationship. In each case, I've got their mobile number. In each case, they respond when I message them. With Roberto Martinez, I'm, I'm glad to say that we, we shared some early times at Sky when he was an ancillary part of the Revista team. Remember, whoppa! That was Roberto. Sean Maloney went to Cults Academy. There's the reference to my teachers. I guess he's rightly considered our star pupil of all time. And Thierry Henry has been somebody who I can't believe that we've become friendly when he participated in Take the Ball, Pass the Ball. We knew each other only very, very vaguely. 
it was his agents who helped pass the message to him. When he saw the early footage, we, we did a little, a little teaser, uh, maybe two and a half minutes of what we'd filmed already. And we got the message back, uh, Thierry says he has to be in this film. Thank the Lord, we said, that's brilliant. And we had one of the recording experiences of our lifetime at the Landmark Hotel in London when he came in fully prepped with a script in his head, spoke without pause for about 60 minutes when we questioned him. And then just as we thought we'd used up all the time he could possibly have allocated us, he went, uh, may I just say one thing more? <laughs> he said, yeah, baby, you can. It was nice yesterday when Roberto Martinez saw that it was me doing the questions pre-match. Uh, when I say yesterday, I mean the day before the match during which Belgium won 1-0 and knocked out the European champions. He walked up not knowing it was me at the edge of the pitch and his eyebrows almost shot off his head when he, oh, Graham, it's you, hello. <laughs> and um, he handled that with aplomb. And then both um, Thierry Henry and, and Sean Maloney came up just to say hello, just to shoot the ship for a couple of seconds. And the reason I mention all this is that some months ago during the season, I messaged one of the people that, that coaches Thibaut Courtois and said, look, Thibaut's got so many attributes. The thing that doesn't stand out about him is when he's on the ball under pressure, when he's asked to play. The reason I did that was that at the beginning of this past season, Zidane, having won the league, wanted to add another layer to Real Madrid's play. In theory, he wanted to play 4-2-3-1 so that he could move Hazard off the left wing into the number 10 position, probably play Vinicius there and shape the rest of the team as circumstances and fitness and availability dictated. But he wanted, and he told his players, he wanted to control the ball more, keep the ball more, play a brand of football, which wasn't just prettier and maybe brought more appreciation, but which made Real Madrid much more protagonists in the game, keeping the ball, loving the ball, like maybe the very best France side he played in, the very best Bordeaux, clearly, but Juventus side that he played in, whereby... Madrid owned the ball, via that they owned the game, and they kept on winning. Their plans were dashed because Hazard was never fully fit. The 4-2-3-1 formation didn't really work. Valverde then got injured and so on and so forth. This isn't a Real Madrid story. But he asked them to play out from the back much more. He asked them to, rather than use Courtois' prodigious ability to kick the ball long, he said to them, I still want to build from the back. And watching Courtois, who's so good at so many things and who's become long before Ramos's contract ran out. Maybe I've been saying this in big interviews. Life's so hectic, I can't remember. But when he arrived, Courtois at Real Madrid, it's, it's not that he wasn't welcome, but all of you are aware of the sensitivities, the pressure pads in, in a high-class dressing room in an iconic winning club. What happened was that Courtois was undoubtedly the president's choice. Not all the president's men, because that was Robert Redford about Watergate. But this was Thibaut Courtois brought in as a specific demand, long-standing demand, by Florentino Perez. Now, when you're the president's man at a club, it gives you a certain degree of power, but there's also a little bit of resentment. That resentment gets a magnifying glass put upon it when what happens is that a fantastic favourite, in this case Kaylor Navas, is pushed out. Now, don't get me wrong, Real Madrid, and indeed all the other great clubs, are not a, a bleeding heart 
club where they wear their hearts in their sleeve and go, poor old Kaylor, we love it. Bullshit. Kaylor was respected and adored because he'd been an exceptional goalkeeper, but there was something else. Sergio Ramos, as you know, loves an Errol Flynn dash up the pitch, and he knows that that exposes Real Madrid to be broken against, countered against. Kaylor Navas, probably for Ramos, had one abiding positive above any else, which is when Real Madrid were broken against, Navas was brilliant one-on-one. Whether Courtois was going to be as good or not, Ramos didn't want to know. He didn't want Kaylor to go. The club being what it is, they didn't listen to the captain. They wanted to cash in on Kaylor Navas. Initially, they kept him, but eventually, out he went to Paris Saint-Germain. That left, how would I say it, strained relations between Ramos and Courtois. Ramos is haughty. Ramos is, has for quite the longest time and successfully felt like, behaved like, spoken like, this is my club, not Florentino's. And in a sense, for a while, it was. That was ephemeral, but it was nonetheless true. And did he treat Courtois like shit and would the Belgian have cared if he did? No. But when you're the captain and the new keeper, when you're the centre-half and the goalkeeper, things can't be frosty. They just can't. So it took a little while for Thibaut Courtois to force himself through. But gradually, and I mean over months and months now, his personality, his voice, his standards have become dominant. Not initially over Ramos, but gradually, yes, overtaking Ramos. The one thing that was left, certainly at the beginning of this season and onwards, was that when this idea of playing the ball out from the back and the idea of playing five aside in your own penalty area was, was being enforced by Zidane, it looked like we'd finally found something that Courtois wasn't A-grade at. And I texted one of the guys that coaches him. Interesting, he said. Okay, we'll take account of that. Literally, we'll take account of that and we'll start thinking about that. Cut to tonight. Belgium weren't playing well, first half, I don't think. They're a little bit strung out. Portugal are definitely, these are nuances. Portugal are definitely moving off the ball better than Belgium to create spaces for passers and therefore there's an ease of the passing. There's a slight domination of possession. There's not a gulf between the two teams, but Belgium are running more than they want to. They're on the ball less. They're, they're keeping the ball less. If it weren't for Witzel's unbelievable pass accuracy, which deep into the second half was still at 100% pass accuracy, and he was amongst the highest receiving and using of the ball, and his pass accuracy stayed at 100? Flipping it. But nonetheless, in the first half, it, it, it was tilting Portugal's way. Not dramatically, but they had their tails up. They felt confident. It looked like they would break the, the scoreline first. 
they've faced each other competitively too. And it just looks as if Courtois is being closed down. And what does he do? He dummies him. He takes the chance that the greatest ridicule that's ever befallen him in his career could be in a knockout game at Euro 2020 against the reigning European champions, his ex-teammate and Portugal's iconic, arrogant wonder man. What happens? Cristiano Ronaldo, as they say in, in old-fashioned match reports, had to buy a ticket to get back into the stadium. The roar is huge. But the beauty of this, and I remember using this phraseology about Ronaldinho, more about Neymar. We don't have to use it about Messi. But it wasn't shit from a showman. It wasn't like cooking a snoot. Courtois wasn't turning around to, to put his thumb to his nose and say, hey, dude, try it. No, bollocks. Courtois used it to give himself time on the ball to distribute again. And while the crowd was still roaring its appreciation, and I was picking my jaw off the floor, off went Belgium. Was it the absolute perfect move thereafter for the goal? No, because there's a little bit of a stutter as Portugal seemed to win the ball. But I think it's Munia who's on it first. He crosses infield to Torgan Hazard in any language. Bosh is what happens next. There's a little bit of action on the ball. I'm willing to bet you that Fernando Santos goalkeeping experts are saying to Portugal's netminder, mate, you were flat on your feet there. That cost you three quarters of a second. Because the action on the ball isn't gigantic, but Torgan Hazard meets it beautifully. It's, it swerves. Should the keeper necessarily have been beaten like he was when his fingertips are so near to it? Not in terms of the touch at the end, that's gone. Should his movement have been a, a, a second quicker to his left? I think probably, but he's flat on his feet. Hey, what do I know from goalkeepers? Still, because I speak in capital letters, I'm telling you, I'm right. As I watched, Torgan Hazard goes down to my right hand to celebrate right in the camera of our cameraman, Juan Pablo Chafela. JP has got Torgan Hazard's nose practically pressed up against his lens. Sweet. My eye goes somewhere else. It goes to the milk tray man. I think it's milk tray, was it? Because Courtois dressed kind of all in black as if he was swinging on a rope onto a Mediterranean yacht to deliver milk tray for the, for the lady. That, that one's for the older advert lovers, by the way. Sorry if you're young. Um, and Courtois, this man who I first, when I first heard about this guy, it was because he was a junior keeper with Belgium and a story came out of Belgium that he could high kick the crossbar from a standing start on the goal line. If he kind of leapt up off his right foot, he could levitate his left foot and kick the underside of the crossbar. It's a story which persists to this day and I've never asked him, but my memory tells me there were pictures and I thought, I'm gonna write about this guy and I did. Lo and behold, he, he pitches up at Chelsea, Aleti want him back, he's beaten by Ramos's header in Lisbon, blah, 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 blah. He's pretty good. Away to my left, he's pirouetting and leaping in utter delight. And I'll swear to you that it can't just have been Torgan Hazard's goal or the fact that they were one nil up, but he'd just dummied Cristiano, pulled it off. If, if he fucks that up, 
it's the worst minute of his entire professional career. And the fans, the Red Devil fans, are, are slightly behind and to the left of his goal. There's a phalanx of them. Dressed in red, they look like somebody splurged a, a dollop of strawberry jam in La Cartuja. And they're going mental, but I just watch Courtois going, you beauty, I pulled it off. It was great, and, and there wouldn't be so much of a point of telling that because maybe you imagined it yourselves, maybe the camera was good enough to get there, I doubt it. But at the end of the match, I was interviewing him and I was still buzzing, absolutely still throbbing with the excitement of what was a slugfest. It was titanic. I don't think it contained as much individual brilliance as I'd thought might happen if they cut loose on one another. More, it was about Belgium underperforming in a technical sense, because in my opinion, they're a significantly better side than Portugal and could have won by more. Instead, what happened was, I have to be careful with my language now, but I'd say that the fact that Belgium are left wondering if De Bruyne and Eden Hazard are going to be fit for the next match tells you something about Portugal's approach. Paulinho is a fortunate man that he wasn't red carded. And once De Bruyne went off, not because he's the guy that might have provided a brilliant assist pass or scored a goal, but because his unflappable calm under pressure, kind of like a British 1970s civil servant. Oh, obviously there's an alter ego where he's like, I don't know, Rick Mayo playing Captain Flashheart the rest of the time. But his unflappability under pressure meant that his outlet was such that Belgium could just breathe and think and plan when he got the ball. When he went off, Chris Mertens didn't give them that. What was lovely to watch was that until he couldn't give any more, Ed Nazar then stepped into that slot and played one of the, the braver games I've seen him produce because his brilliance isn't in question, nor is his skill. But this is early in his return to full athletic and football fitness for him to have carried the weight that he did across the second half. He kept on, it's the type of bravery we keep on talking about in the big interview. The bravery to show for the ball, to carry the ball, to take the hits. That began to sound like the rhythm of unwriggled and tickled and tickled insider. I know an old Eden who swallowed a match. And he did in the second half. He gobbled it up whole and gave Belgium the outlet that Dries Mertens couldn't and that De Bruyne had been robbed of doing. But at the end of the match, here's my point because I haven't forgotten, I'm speaking to Courtois. And I've just been on tenterhooks for the last half an hour thinking, look, there's a chance. And who was it at the post? Because I was coming down from the press tribune to pitch side. I think it was Guerrero. And, you know, there were headed chances for Ronaldo. I'm sure there was one for Ruben Diaz. And, and Portugal were not simply involved in, in dark arts. I, I didn't like some of what they did. But I have to say that they made Belgium work. And I thought that Vertonghen and Vermalen and company were, were pretty heroic. But I was consumed by the way in which one little piece of madness by Courtois in the face of CR7, led pretty promptly thereafter to the goal. So I said to him, look, Tiwa, did you enjoy it? What were you think? He said, and this is why I introed on 
when you live like me, when you have opinions like mine, when life takes a little swim back at your job, you don't just have to take it, you have to enjoy it. I swear to you, and he can't have known about my text. But with a six foot three grin down the way towards my dwarfish Scottish stature, he said, well, you know, some people say I can't play on the ball. <laughs> so I had to try that. And um, I love that, I have to say. That will go down as one of my, whatever happens from now on in, that will go down as one of my moments of the tournament. Portugal, yeah. In the preview with Neil, I said I hadn't been that impressed by them. And as much as they windmill punched at fresh air sometimes and at Belgium in general, high up the pitch in the latter stages, definitely with the upper hand, I, there's something that's not right. There's too much talent in that squad for them to play that way, in my humble opinion. They haven't impressed in their defence of the title. Over the piece, if you tell me they deserve to have extra time and penalties, I, I won't ask you outside for a, for a ding-dong. But I will say to you, I'm, I'm, I'm convinced that the right team went through. Belgium, however, I think it's a little bit worrying. Despite the number of players that Roberto Martinez rested in their last game, and, and that was several, they looked a little bit, not jaded, just a little bit short of the kind of electric energy that makes them such a special team. So, let's see what happens next. I guess it's Italy, I'm pretty sure it's Italy, who didn't uh, impress against Austria. They impressed because if you, if you believe in the credo that winning is everything, then they did the job. When I talked to my colleague Paolo Manicucci about what are Italy lacking, way before the Austria game, he said, there's a general worry that even after so many victories, and I think it's about 1,652 straight wins now, he said, I wonder, or there's a general worry, have we become this frolicking, exciting, much-loved Mancini Viali team and forgotten how to win the hard way? Forgotten how to grind it out? Well, no, evidently they haven't. But what did it show Belgians analysts when Austria went toe-to-toe with them? What did it take out of Italy? Or, or how did it reinforce Italy to be dragged down into the mud? They do say, never wrestle with pigs because the pigs will enjoy it and you'll be covered in shit. Well, that wasn't quite what happened with Austria, but I wonder who enjoyed it more. Austria for dragging Italy down into the mud or Italy for saying, sweet, we made it out. Don't know. But unless I'm talking through my... Um, my back page press then I think it's Italy-Belgium next and in all honesty subject to Monday night's game I think it's going to be I think it's going to be one of those Belgium or Italy against Spain at Wembley for the semi-final there you go I've said it out loud sorry I'm getting a little bit too excited about that for the moment um, who gets my man of the day Duke Neil where oh you're not here Martin you neither you're not here I don't know in these letters from America. Do I do a, a Bet365 man of the day? I do. Well, my Bet365 man of the day is me. Because I am exactly where I want to be. Reporting on utterly spellbinding Jake LaMotta punch and counterpunch football. And tonight, at least, I've done my job by remembering to send this letter to you. Lochaber no more. Good night.